Hello friends, welcome to this episode of A Year of Doing. This isn't exactly the um podcast that I imagined that I would be um publishing out to the world. In fact, I had recorded another episode that I presumed would be the first episode of this podcast. But... At last, we are living in a world that is slowly falling apart. Or at least that is what it feels like every morning when I wake up and I reach for my phone and I do that thing that I know I'm not supposed to do. I open up Twitter and I feel like I am being slammed by everything that is going on in the world and there is nowhere to hide. And so today is... um. Friday, May 29th, 2020, as I record this. I am uh, in a closet in my room just before I go to bed. I know, interesting place to be recording, but um, it has the best um, acoustics in my house because it's kind of quiet and um, I have quite a lot of stuff in here. So it gives me good um, echo prevention. But yeah, so I am about to go to bed and I have a lot on my mind. I have um, spent the whole day following the protest going on. We as a people, and I say we because even for those of us who are perhaps too scared or unable to physically put our bodies on the line we still form part of the protest in many ways emotionally psychologically financially using our voices amplifying messages we join the protest in the ways that we can so we are protesting the death of Judge Floyd, a black man who was killed in Minnesota. And what makes this particularly heavy for many, many, many black people is that this isn't the first time and I do not assume that this will be the last time because the injustice, the violence, the trauma, the casual disregard for life that we observe every day when we look at the way America treats black people is heart-wrenching is so entrenched in the system that I do not presume that this would be the end, unfortunately. Call me a pessimist, call me what you might, but realistically, that is where I find myself. So yeah, we are um, protesting. We are being vocal. We are amplifying messages. We are finding ways to show our support, but 
overwhelmingly we are heartbroken. I have spent today talking to my loved ones. As you can imagine, this hasn't been an easy moment. So I have spent today talking to loved ones. Talking about how, you know, for many of us, we have black men. We have black men in our family. Men that we cherish. And we have black children. Young men, young boys, young babies that we worry about. But I am also a black woman. And when you think about the assault on black bodies and black lives, it goes across genders. And when I think about my life, I worry. I'm not worried particularly for my safety, but I also just realized that the ways in which black lives are being brutalized, those things do not occur in extraordinary moments. Black lives are being taken while we are doing things that are ordinary. Things that mark us as members of community. Things that are human. Things that make us vulnerable. And in those ordinary moments, our lives become extraordinary because of violence and because of trauma. I know this is the very first episode that I am likely going to push out for a year of doing. And starting this talking about something so heavy seems so counterintuitive to the reason why I wanted to record this podcast. But I guess reality reality is weird because I I am a story writer. I will call myself a story writer. And when I think of how my imagination works, I would never ever have thought to myself that the confluence of events that we are experiencing at this moment would occur. The rage, the fatigue of watching violence being dished out against black bodies. The disregard for black lives by people in power. The public health crisis both from the standpoint of violence and trauma against black bodies and, you know, from the pandemic of coronavirus. It's too much. It is so much and it is too much. And in this moment, sometimes I ask myself, how does one grieve? 
How do we grieve the lives that are lost? How do we grieve the lives that are, you know, they are not lost, but they're stagnant. The opportunities we are denied, the burden that we carry. How do we grieve those things? This morning I sent out a tweet on my account and I said to my, you know, I think I have like 300 or 400 followers on Twitter, which isn't, you know, that's not the point of this. And I said that I will continue to put out joyful content. I will continue to put out joyful content. I will continue to celebrate life because I refuse. I absolutely, absolutely vehemently refuse to have my life defined by violence, by trauma, by disregard, by anger. I refuse. And that tweet captures the reason why I chose to create this podcast. A year of doing is a place where I want to talk about what it means to thrive while the world is falling apart. To find pockets of joy and to practice joyful living. Because I have found that as a black woman, as an immigrant, as a Muslim, as a fat woman, and... Unfortunately, as someone who lives with, in some sense, a disability, it is very important for me to be intentional about creating joy. I have fibromyalgia. It's a disease that is confounding, that on some levels is debilitating because fibromyalgia you know is characterized by pain by constant consistent chronic pain and when i first started having pain I just wanted to give up. I won't lie. I wanted to give up. I wanted to lie in bed. I wanted to give up and just tell myself, you know what? I'm in pain. I don't want to move. I don't want to do anything. I want to give up. But I realized that I wanted more for my life than just giving up. And so a big part of my life, a big part of what I do every day is motivating myself and telling myself get up get out of bed get dressed put on the makeup do your hair not for anybody but for myself i do what i do for myself it is part of my practice of joyful living and when i have successfully motivated myself in the past and gotten out of bed. I have found that it has made my day 
much brighter but it has had a snowball effect in the sense that when I get out of bed and I tell myself despite the pain despite the anxiety despite the fatigue I will push through and I will do one more thing and then another thing and then another thing until the day is over and I am back in bed and I will give my body rest. And this is not something that came easy to me. Um, I have a history of depression, of anxiety. I have a history of feeling generally lost, like I don't belong. Part of it is, again, um, finding myself living in a society where I felt attacked and I felt invisible and unseen. Part of it is been finding myself struggling to feel like I can accomplish even a quarter of what I want my life to be. And so I have spent the past few years of my life and I would say honestly, probably since about 27, 28, I have spent the last few years of my life and now I'm going to be um 34 in September so about six years really I've spent the last six years of my life encouraging myself and developing the practice of joyful living for many people this moment that we're living in feels extraordinary but for many black people, it is just another day and just another trauma. Another day, another trauma, another aggression, another moment where we are forced to be creative and to find ways to celebrate and to accept our our being. The practice of joyful living for me is very important, not as a vanity project. This practice is important because even from a medical point of view, as a black woman, it is important for me to make sure that my body is not weathering. Um, in the past few years, we've had a lot of research being published about black maternal death. And one thing that has consistently been um, established in the research that we're seeing coming out is that racism, 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 is a big reason why black women die during childbearing years and why black women lose pregnancies, have underweight babies and suffer through 
early infant mortality. So as a black woman of childbearing age, although I am not pregnant and I am not having children at the moment, it is important for me to create a practice that allows me to place joy as a critical part of my life. One of my biggest worries in life is to spend my life without celebration. And it's so easy to do when you're an immigrant and you don't have family nearby and you constantly find yourself alone at major holidays. But one of the things that I have learned to do is to celebrate by myself and to celebrate for myself. I have learned to create connections I have learned to do for myself what I wish, you know, I could tap into my family to do. And I won't lie and say, you know, practicing joyful living in a time of turmoil or practicing joyful living through pain or practicing joyful living through trauma is easy. It's not and I do not presume that it would ever be. But the point of practice is that at some point, when you practice, you it becomes ingrained in who you are. It stops being something that you have to think about and it becomes something that you reach for. It becomes another piece of tool that you can reach for when things become hard. When I first moved back to America in um, 2013, it was hard for me because I didn't know anybody here. And one of the first practice of joyful living that I did back then was to take myself to the movies at least once every week. And it wasn't just a lazy going to the movies like, oh, I'm just going to go to the movies and see whatever. I sought out projects that interested me. And so I knew, you know, how to get to various movie theaters to go see movies. I learned how to leave my house and go take a walk in the park. I learned how to cook for myself. I mean, when I say cook for myself, I've been cooking since I was eight, but cook for myself in the sense of, you know, creating recipes and trying new foods and making drinks for myself because I don't drink alcohol and it's always hard to go buy drinks because usually a lot of what you get when you don't drink alcohol is like, sugary stuff that has no dimensions of flavor so i really had to create habits that would help me find meaningful joy in my life and would allow me to go to bed feeling like there have been moments of happiness and moments of joy in my life instead of just having survived another day so when I'm standing in moments like these, moments that feel universally heavy, 
I have learned that the best thing to do after getting angry is to tap into my practice. Practice, practice, practice joyful living. You know, the more I watch the news, the more my heart is broken. And the more I realize that what comes after this is not going to be easy. And even when I say that, I feel bad because I want to be hopeful and I want to be optimistic. But I'm just so smart, y'all. I am too smart, I am too grounded not to see that what comes next is going to require a lot of work. When you break down systems and when you find yourself living through unprecedented moments, the rebuilding requires hard work. But the rebuilding also requires intention. It requires understanding that there is more to life than work. There is more to life than money. And there is more to life than pain. Life should be filled with joy. Life should be filled with laughter. Life should be filled with moments where we can look back and say I had a good day or that was a good moment or I felt light on my feet I forgot about everything else that I had to do so that is why I decided to create a year of doing it has been six years for me now of learning what it means to practice joyful living to thrive to choose to create perhaps a bubble around myself where I have tools to help me navigate through hard moments. And the, the, the purpose of this podcast is not to be exoteric, but it is to provide, you know, concrete information that is grounded in fact and grounded in a lot of my personal experience about a possible way of moving forward that allows us to recognize our own humanity and perhaps create something that would fill us with joy and would give us things to celebrate. I am sad at this moment I am overcome with anger and anxiety and a general longing for a time when I would no longer feel afraid for myself, for the men that I love, and I would no longer get scared when I see the hashtag Black Lives Matter because I would know that it's something good, not another call to action. Until then, this will be the way that I choose to protest. My protest is going to be creating joy in black lives and encouraging us 
to find moments to thrive even when it feels impossible. I look forward to talking to you during this journey. I look forward to having conversations with you about what it means to do even when you feel like nothing can be done. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Wear your mask. And remember, you are worthy of love, of kindness, of light, and definitely you are worthy of joy.